Part of the mistake that we make is that we make assumptions that the other person is going to come to the table with the same approach to how we both manage money, how we make decisions about it. And you never talk about those differences and you never talk about those expectations and how those expectations might be shaping the family unit that you've now created. Change careers, break into new industries, transition into new roles, reinvent yourself and make the dent you want. This is the Second Breaks podcast. And now here's your host and fellow Second Breaker, Lou Blazer. Hello, my friend. This is episode 19 of the Second Breaks podcast, and it's Monday, October 2nd, 2017, as I record this episode. And I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest today, Jaquette Timmons. But before I go there, I just wanted to share something with you. I am always asked about what book I'm reading. I'm kind of known to be a bit of a bookworm, book nerd. And so I'm always with my Kindle, uh, if, if not a physical book. So I thought that I'll start sharing from time to time anyway, what's, uh, what's on my Kindle, what I'm currently reading. And uh, these days, I am actually rereading a book that I've read a couple years ago. It's called Essentialism by Greg McKeon. And oh my God, I'm so sorry. I probably butchered his last name, but it's M-C-K-E-O-W-N. And I'll include a link to the book on the show notes. Uh, But I apologize to Mr. Greg if I uh, butchered his name. But I've I've read this book before, like I said, but I am uh, rereading it because I needed to... uh, I needed to get reminded of its book's... uh, messages because I am getting ready to do my goal setting for 2018, which uh, is probably kind of a bit of a, you know, what? <laughs> and I'll talk about why I'm doing that in a minute. But uh, like I said, I was I was needing to reread some sections of the book to be reminded about about the book's main tenets, the, the disciplined pursuit of less and focusing our energy on our highest potential. And so I wanted to read maybe just a a few lines from the book that I highlighted this morning. Essentialists see trade-offs as an inherent part of life, not as an inherently negative part of life. Instead of asking, what do I have to give up? They ask, what do I want to go big on? The cumulative impact of this small change in thinking can be profound. As painful as they can sometimes be, trade-offs represent a significant opportunity by forcing us to weigh both options and strategically select the best one for us, we significantly increase our chance of achieving the outcome we want. And so, as you can tell just from those few sentences, that it's important for me, it's it's kind of an important message to keep in mind uh, as as uh, as I draw the my my plan for 2018 because I do tend to uh, come up with a long list of goals and a ton of priorities plural and and I'm having to constantly remind myself these days that priority means one thing, not ten things. Now, why in the world am I thinking about 2018 already, you may ask. So um, I tend to operate in an October to September type of annual cycle. I don't know why or how this started. It's probably a holdover from a previous role that I used to have when I worked with a company with a similar fiscal cycle. And 
I find that I work better or I am I feel better when I am all set when January 1st hits. Like when that ball in Times Square drops, I want to feel like I'm all set. Well, maybe after a day because, you know, hangover kind of stuff. But, you know, so I needed to plan ahead of time. Also, because from Thanksgiving till the end of the year, I'm pretty much about holidays and family and gratitude and celebration and all that kinds of good stuff. So I tend to plan ahead of time. So I tend to do my my year-end review and long-term planning and goal setting around the end of October to mid-November kind of time frame before Thanksgiving hits. And then this year, I'm even doing it slightly earlier because I'm doing something different this year. I'm going to be more transparent and share my process with the members of the Second Ricks community. You know, if you want to plan along with me or want to learn about my processes, what I've learned from the past years that I'm going to incorporate into my processes uh, going forward, you can head on over to secondbreaks.com towards like the middle of the homepage. You'll see a spot to sign up for the Sunday Insider Scoop. So sign up for that and uh, you'll be in on uh, kind of what I'm doing for this year. Kind of like a side note, I am an INTJ and the TJ part of me is very strong. So I am kind of one of those people who likes the idea of planning, but also likes the process of planning. Not to say that I am perfect. In fact, I, uh, I will honestly say that I'm way, way, way better at helping others plan than I am planning my own. Because like I said earlier, I tend to come up with a a long list of things that I wanted to do. So I've learned quite a lot last year and this year that I'm incorporating into my own process. And so a lot of those sort of lessons learned are kind of what I'm going to be uh, sharing with the insider team. So make sure that you sign up for that. Again, secondbreaks.com right there in the middle or actually also in the about page you'll see a spot to sign up for the uh for the sunday insider scoop group okie dokie you will find today's show notes at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 19 with all the links to the resources that you'll hear us talk about today And today, my guest is Jaquette Timmons, financial behaviorist and CEO of Sterling Investment Management. She coaches, she teaches, speaks, writes on creative solutions to common financial problems for everyone from the middle class to the 1%. And I am so excited to have her share her insights with us today because we are talking about money and how to talk about money. A little bit meta there, I know, but as I'm sure you will agree, money and money conversations, big part, huge part of any career move consideration. So with that, let me transition to my chat with Jaquette and I'll catch you at the back end. Hi, Jaquette. Welcome to Second Breaks. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Lou, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. Same here, same here. So, you know, I am just going to jump right in because this is such a meaty topic that we are talking about today. We're talking about finances. We're talking about money. And I know that from my own personal experience, as well as, you know, what I've observed from family and friends and other people that I've worked with, that this is actually not 
an easy topic to talk about, right? And so, and I'm sure you 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 know you've you've encountered that as well, or you've observed that as well. So, why do you think this is? Why do you think that money talk is such a difficult thing to talk about? What makes it hard? Um, because money is really emotional. <laughs> like there isn't anyone that does not react to money emotionally, and. When you think about the the words that describe the typical emotions that people feel about money, it's mostly the negative emotions, right? It's the guilt, it's the shame, it's the embarrassment, it's the not wanting to, uh, if you share something with someone, be vulnerable and 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 be vulnerable in terms of what that might mean with regards to your skills and what you know or don't know, what that might mean in terms of how people are placing a value on you as an individual. Like they might say, well, how could you like do that? That's so crazy. Like that that is a silly mistake. How could you make that? And yet you made it, mm-hmm. and they just amplified the fact that you made a mistake, that you are aware that it was a mistake. So I think it is the the kind of thing where you have an internal emotional response to it, and that internal emotional response can either get amplified by what how somebody else responds to it, or you can just having a reaction because of somebody of how somebody else responds to it but it's always an emotionally driven thing so that's why i think it makes it difficult to talk about because you don't want to share the mistakes you've made the questions you have the things that frustrate you you'd rather just share the safe things which are your successes and you know none of us none of us only have financial successes in our lives we've all made mistakes we all have had those moments where we're like oh can I have a do over exactly exactly <laughs> and, and so I, that's what makes it tough to talk about and i think even when we're wanting to talk about or even when we are in in a successful sort of phase in life sometimes you also don't want to talk about it in in fear that others might judge us differently also or we might unnecessarily or inadvertently offend someone or make someone feel worse right so either way i think whether you're in a good position or a bad position it's it's still awkward i think anyways right it is it is totally and i think that um what that then is calling us to do is to make sure that we have a broad spectrum of people in our circle because if you can't also talk about your successes and the things that you were proud of that's a problem <laughs> and so you need to make sure that you are in spaces where you are given permission to do that and at the same time that you were given permission to other people to do likewise and sometimes what you have to do is interject those successes even in those spaces where it's mostly all about complaining so that people can see what's possible because sometimes that's what your role is right is to be that example of what's possible so you you have to do it but um if you don't have any circle right now that en- enables you to share those successes definitely have to find it or create it right that's a very good point and then, uh, along the same lines um you know i was just thinking about this before the call about you know how how do I, how did I learn how to talk about money or finances? And to be candid, 
I didn't learn how to talk about money or finances because when I look back in my growing years, my parents never talked about money in front of the kids. And the the more the most that I remember is them saying, save, 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 right? That's <laughs> right. all that I hear. And I never really, we never really talk about anything else other than <laughs> save, 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 right? And right. so, you know, almost like whatever I know, what little I know about talking about money is just from, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how to talk about it, which almost always is, you know, I don't know how to talk about it, right? Uh, is that, do you find that a, a common thing that we don't hear from our parents, from our family of origin, how to talk about money? Totally. I mean, I, our, our habits, our pattern of behavior, our mindset around money, our first reference point for that is our family. And, you know, one of the things that I say to people is, if you think about it, your relationship with money is one of the longest relationships that you are ever going to have next to the one that you have with your family and most with your parents, right? Unless you have younger siblings, or I should say older siblings. Um, but yes, your what you are accustomed to and what you are comfortable with when it comes to talking about money is really shaped at by, I should say, what you experienced and what you saw growing up. So if at the dinner table, if you were a family that had dinner every night and you had proactive conversations about money, you were more than likely going to be that person who also has proactive conversations about money. If the only time there was ever a talk about money is when there was a crisis or if, you know, it's like, oh, God, the school season is starting. Now we've got to figure out how we're going to come up with A, B, C or D to pay for X, Y and Z. If that's the only thing that you've been exposed to, then you're going to cultivate the habit of really only having conversations around money when it's, there's a transaction to be had. So a lot of what you do today is certainly influenced by your family of origin, but it's also influenced by pop culture. Mm. What do you see going on, you know, outside of you, whether it's your neighborhood, extended family members? What do you see going on outside in the media? Um, other things that influence you are just really what's happening geopolitically, socially, economically, like all of that influences how you come to the table and whether or not you're prepared to talk about money and do that with confidence and do that with some comfort. And also, let's not forget your own experiences, right? Because you've now lived a bit of time, you've now made some choices, some of which turned out exactly how you wanted them to, others not. And now you're living out the consequences of that. So all of that is like a little dance that you're having. And that all influences where you are today and how you envision moving forward. Okay. So I'm going to ask you uh, in, in a couple of seconds here about uh, very specifically uh, about, um, you know, how we might broach the topic of, of money or finances mm -hmm. as it relates to career changes and the like. But okay. before I go there, I just wanted to just as a general sort of question, what do you think are the uh, sort of common mistakes maybe that people make when they're trying to talk about money or finances with their loved ones or their significant others? So I'm going to answer that by sharing a, an example that I think is pretty classic. Um, even if the details aren't, I think the scenario of it is. So I was working with a couple who lived together before they got married. And while they were living together, 
um, they split everything 50-50 and they had separate accounts. So, you know, they each paid half the rent with half, you know, half the amount with each check, right? They get married. One party in that relationship is expecting that, okay, now we're married. We're going to commingle our assets. We're going to have joint checking accounts, joint investment accounts, and we're going to do this jointly. Mm. The other party in the relationship was like, uh, no, why? Like, why should anything change simply because we got married? Now, the thing that you have to understand is the person who was expecting it to change grew up in a more traditional household wherein the mother, you know, was a stay-at-home mom, the father was an entrepreneur, and actually the mother was the one who handled all of the finances, but the, the father was the one who earned it all, right? And so everything was commingled. And, 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 and in her instance, it was more along the lines of we only kept it separate while we were living together. But my expectation was that when we got married, it would become joint. Well, they never had a conversation around expectations. They never had a conversation around this is how I grew up with money. This is how you grew up, because in his instance, his parents were separated. They were both working professionals. So he never had the reference that she did. Mm. So part of the mistake that we make is that we don't, we make assumptions that the other person is going to come to the table with the same approach to how we both manage money, how we make decisions about it. And you never talk about those differences and you never talk about those expectations and how those expectations might be shaping the family unit that you've now created. So though I hope that's a really good example of how we come to the table with different things and that those play out in our relationships. Totally. And I think so so the, the the fact that we don't we make assumptions so we don't actually talk about it. And then on top of that, we have all these beliefs or narratives in our heads about money and stuff like that. So it's all sort of makes it even more uh, convoluted. And then by the time we're yeah. talking about it, it's already a big issue or big fight, <laughs> probably, right? That's why it's being, exactly. being br brought yeah. up, right? Totally. And, and the thing of it is, you know, just like I said at, at the top of our conversation, that everybody reacts to money emotionally, everybody has subconscious beliefs about money too. And it's very rare that we actually, unless something happens, um, get into those aspects of the conversation. So we don't we don't ask someone. So tell me what was money like growing up in your family and how does that shape how you are today? How does that shape what your expectation of me or of us is or are like we don't typically engage in conversations in that way. And it's something that we should be doing more of. That's right. That's right. I like that. So, um, Jacquette, so as, as you know, um, you know, the Second Breaks podcast talks about, you know, what it takes to make a career move in today's world, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our, our most, if not all of our li listeners are people who are thinking about making a career change, making some kind of a career pivot. And the reality is that sometimes that career change results at least initially with either a reduction in a monthly salary or a lateral move where there is no positive effect on salary <laughs> or uh or if it's not salary related maybe um uh, a reduction of expenses because we need to tighten the belt for a little bit as we're trying to branch into something different right and mm -hmm. so and for the listeners in full disclosure i 
was lucky that I didn't have this issue because I, when I made a career move, um, I was independent by myself, never having to worry about what it might mean to someone else who is dependent right. on me. Right. So right. I didn't have, luckily for me, I didn't have this, this, uh, this particular challenge, but I do know, uh, uh the people that I work with, a lot of them face this, um, question. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, what do you, how do you think is the best way to bring this up with a loved one where on the one hand, you have this dream that you really want to do, perhaps you want to start a a small business on the side that would Mm -hmm. require you to invest something elsewhere, tighten the belt a little bit, or just go into a different direction where lateral move or maybe even a reduction of salary in the beginning, uh, so that you could pursue a different career track. So what do you think is the best way to bring this up to a loved one so that they could, uh, they could gain their support? or at least understanding. <laughs> right, 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 right. So there are two things that I, I want to say about, well, there are several things I want to say about it, but I want to point out um, two different initiations, if you will, meaning for some people, the career pivot or the career change is self-initiated. And for others, it's other initiated, i.e. they were in a downsize, right? And so um, when you're in a downsize situation, that then means, unless you saw the writing on the wall, that it complete that it completely caught you off guard. We're not talking about that. I'm presuming mm-hmm. we're talking about the one where someone is deciding, I want to make a change. I want to make a change within this time frame, and these are some of the uh, pros and cons of that change. And maybe one of the financial cons is that I'm not going to be making as much money. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Either we're so, n- we're not going to make enough uh, as much money, or we're going to have to tighten the belt because you know, yeah. Right. So I think. Um, one thing to really think about is don't just think about the gross ramification. Mm-hmm. So let's just say for illustrative purposes, I would, would they say the median income is what's, I don't know, what is it? 75? I don't know. Let's like just that, say yeah. the, okay. Let's just say the median income is 75 and that's what you're earning and you want to switch and you want to do something else, but that's going to require that you now go to 60. But that, yeah, what you have to remember is that 60 gross. That's not what your take home is. So you have to make sure that when you're contemplating that career pivot or that career change and it's going to have an impact on your take on your salary, that you're not just looking at the gross, that you're looking at the net because the net is what's going to have the most significant impact on your lifestyle. In terms of how do you get the other person to buy in? Even though you're not necessarily, or maybe you are, but let's just presume you're not making, um, you're not starting a business. Even if you're not starting a business, you need to create a business plan and you need to present that plan to to whomever your partner is. And that plan is, you know, here's what I want to do. Here's why I want to do it. Here's the the. The, my expectation around what I'm going to earn. This is how it's going to impact our household finances. And let that be the initiation of the conversation. When you are presenting your case, your business, because you're making a business case to get somebody to, to be behind you, not just emotionally, because recognize that when people seem like they're being uh, non-supportive, oftentimes it's not that they're not supportive, it's that they're protective. 
and they don't want you to get hurt. They don't want you to be disappointed. And maybe some of that has to do with they don't want the lifestyle of the household to be interrupted. But oftentimes it's more it's more out of a protection issue. So this is your way of saying these are the things that I've thought about. These are the steps that I am taking to protect me, to protect us and then get some input. But how you sell it is by really putting together, quote unquote, a business plan that really speaks to why do you want to do it? What's the time frame and how much runway are you giving yourself? So you might say if you're starting a business, I want to be in a position where we can give this a year to get off the ground. Are you comfortable with us scaling our expenses 25 percent, 30 percent, maybe even 50 percent for the next year? Um, like it's, it's those kinds of conversations and it needs to be, I think, positioned, presented, I should say, as scenario planning, right? Here's one way that this could work out. Here's another way that this could work out. And then what you're doing is you are engaging A in a conversation and B, you're letting that person contribute to what the final choice is and not just saying, this is what I want to do. This is why we're doing it. And there you go. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly. It's a much different posture. And I like that because I think sometimes, so for example, uh, a case in point, I have actually a good friend of mine who wanted to go back to school to study, to go back to school and study medicine. He's always wanted to be a doctor. And so he wanted to go back to school to, to, uh, to pursue that, um, dream of his. But he's been working, um, you know, for a while now. He's got a wife and a kid and they got used to, you know, his salary and to mm-hmm. go back to school means he is going to have to switch at least part time. So that's going to be a reduction. And he is so, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about, about at the top of the hour is that it, he, he becomes so emotionally wrapped around this has been my dream forever and ever to become a doctor. And so he and and so they're not actually having that sort of business plan type of conversation because the conversation is all wrapped up into this the emotion around my dream and you're not supporting my dream kind of conversation well here well here's what i would say that here's what i would say right i i think money is one of the best communication tools that's underutilized in that way and here's what i mean by that i'm gonna suspect that him wanting to be a doctor is not news to his wife. I would imagine that that would have come out while they were dating, the early years of their marriage. And so, you know, I'm just going to say that if, if you really want for your partner to live as fulfilled a life as possible, then a part of that partnership is supporting that person in, in those endeavors. And so to me, it really then boils down to how, how does he present, um, the short-term impact of something that's going to actually have a deeper long-term impact once he's done. He's going to probably be a happier husband, a happier father, and who knows, he probably will end up making more than what he is currently. Mm -hmm. But in order to get to the other side of that, they have to, you know, shrink a little bit. But sometimes shrinking for the, the benefit of something that's going to be more expansive in the future is worth it. And uh, that's something I think that needs to be tapped into a little bit more. Like, what's the short term sacrifice that you are willing to uh, embrace 
in order for this long-term benefit to be experienced. Totally. I get that. And sort of related to this, but this time the conversation with not necessarily, I mean, I think the conversation with a spouse, for example, or your kids or people who are dependent on your income, right? Mm -hmm. is one thing. But then there is the conversation that you have with with other loved ones who are not necessarily dependent on your income, but are in your circle, right? So for example, Mm -hmm. when someone makes and this happened to me personally, when someone makes a switch, for example, from a full time, when you have a full time job, you you have, you know, the 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 benefit of having your twice a month salary that you can rely on getting deposited in your bank account but the moment you switch to a more like a freelancing type of thing Mm -hmm. then it becomes uncertain you know there's ups and downs and stuff like that and so rightfully so friends family concerned about you what are the kinds of things maybe or scripts that that we can have in our sort of back pocket when our loved ones are showing that kind of concern and we want to sort of calm them down and not worry about us too much so much so that we get scared ourselves but but you know what I mean I I do I do I know precisely what you mean and and I think that um, especially in that scenario that you've just painted that's when it becomes even more critical that you have surrounded yourself with other entrepreneurs who get it because it's not really your job to convince your family members that what you're doing is okay Mm. like that's not your job that's too much energy that's too much effort and you need to conserve that so that you can show up and do whatever it is that you're doing and putting out in the world so that you can show up and create the best product that you can create or design the best service that you can design so just keep in mind that it's not your job to help them to feel comfortable with it what it is your job to do though is to make sure that if you find yourself in a pickle that you have somebody that you can go to and talk to about it and that that person's not going to judge you and not going to say to you, see, I told you, you should have never left that cushy job to have go on out there and have your own business. Why would you do that? Like, you don't need that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, And so I think one strategy specifically for those family members is to say to them, I put together a plan. I'm following my plan. Yes, there may be hiccups from time to time in my plan. But when I need you, if something should happen and I need you, I just need you to be there. I don't need the lecture. I don't need uh, the the reminder that this is risky. I know it's risky. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that conversation once, maybe twice is enough. And then you just got to let it go. Because again, it's not your responsibility to help them to get comfortable with it, because that's a choice, your choice to be an entrepreneur and whatever way that shapes out, that's your choice. They've made a choice to live their life the way that they need to live it. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Both choices are perfectly fine. Don't make me feel bad for my choice simply because it's not one that you would have made. Yes. Yeah. I so love that jacket. (laughs) And uh, I, I think I've passed that sort of time although every now and again it still comes up for me but Mm -hmm. there was a period of time that was very very intense and I wish I knew that back then oh yeah and you know it it can even come out in a really subtle way like so say for example you're used to going out with your friends or certain family members and you're used to going to a particular place and now you're working for yourself and maybe you're in a a a little bit of a, a slump and you can still go out 
but you just can't go to some of the places that you used to go to. <laughs> well, you need them to understand that, okay, can we go like to the diner today? Exactly. <laughs> I still want to be right? social. I still want to hang out, but you know, I can't go to the four star, five star restaurant like we used to on a, you know, on a regular basis. I need to go to a diner today. Exactly. Um, and you need to, and you, and, and I'll tell you this, that will certainly help to weed out the friends that are really supportive of you because those friends that are really supportive of you and those family members that are really supportive of you, they will go with you to the diner. They don't care. They just want to spend some time with you. So it's also a good weeding out mechanism. Totally. Now I was spoken around your website. I was kind of like, um, preparing for our call. And I noticed this phrase that you put on your website. It said, you said something like, we don't manage money. We manage choices. And I paused when I read that and I said, is this only about a choice between savings and ex or spending? Or what do you mean when you say it's we're not managing money, we're managing choices? Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's much more expansive than just saving and spending. It's about every aspect in terms of the ways in which money impacts your life and your, your life impacts your money. The, the way that I like to um, describe that and, and illustrate that is to paint the following picture. Let's say I give person A and person B a dollar, and I ask them both to come back to me in 30 days and tell me what did they do with the dollar. Person A may say to me that they saved it, or they might say they invested it. Person B might say to me, I spent it all and I don't have anything left over. Or they might say, I did absolutely nothing with it. I still have the same dollar that you gave me. There's absolutely nothing wrong with any of those choices, and any of them are viable ones to make. The difference here is this. Person A made their set of choices based upon their circumstances, their values, their beliefs, their goals, their expectations, their fears, and it's the same for person B. And so when I say it's not just about money, if it were only about money, they both would have done the exact same thing, and they both would have had the exact same result. But they they have different results because they made different choices. And so that's why I say you don't manage money as much as it is that you manage your choices. Because if I give two people a dollar, if it was just about the money, both of them would come back to me 30 days with the exact same results. And as that fic fictional example shows, that's not the case. Or there were four examples that I gave you of what they could have done. It could have also been any combination of things. So I want to ask you a little bit about your subject. Yeah. Yet. So you call yourself a financial behaviorist. Mm -hmm. And I think most of us have probably have heard financial planner or investment, mm -hmm. you know, planner or something like that. What is a financial behaviorist? And although people who are listening could probably tell by the conversation that we're having already, but uh, what is a financial behaviorist and how does it differ from maybe a, a financial planner or an investment planner or something? Sure. Like that? So um, you're right, as probably people can infer from our conversation, um, financial behaviorist is uh, someone that helps you manage your money through the lens of looking at your behavior and your choices with money. 
And how it's different is that I don't manage money. So I'm not making investment choices for my clients. I'm not actively managing their money. So I'm not saying buy X stock over Y or buy one mutual fund over another. So I don't do that. I don't sell insurance products. So all of the things that you would typically equate with a financial planner or an asset manager or investment manager, I don't do that. I help to complement what they're doing on your behalf. So I consider myself as part of your financial team if you are working with someone like that, but I'm not doing what they're doing. And a part of it for me really stems from what got me fascinated in the first place in this whole idea of human behavior and money. And that was the crash of 1987. And whenever I say that, people are like, what are you talking about? I'm older than I look. <laughs> I was about to say, seriously, I was about to say, what do you know about I know, right? That? You're like, that doesn't quite add up. I'm older than I look. Thank my parents for my genes. Um, but I got a chance to see up close and personal the, the different ways in which people reacted to the crash of 87. And there were some people that very distinctly were, were distraught. And if they could have, they would have jumped out of the window because of the money that they lost for themselves and for their clients. On the opposite end of the spectrum were people that were very calm. And I just found that huge disparity in terms of reaction fascinating because I'm like, wait a second. This is the second largest crash that we have had since 1929, which precipitated the Great Depression. Why are those people over there calm? Like, what do they know that these folks don't? Like, I don't understand. And that, that is what really got me interested and uh, curious about the whole space of behavioral economics and behavioral finance. I see. I gotcha. Now, and just totally curious now on my part, because since you mentioned that, did you see any difference or as, as, a, as a society, did we improve when the housing market collapsed a few years ago and a lot of people, again, lost money? Did we evolve or with our relationship with money, with our behavior around disasters like this? I think some people did, and I think others did not. I think those people who either learned from 87 or knew someone who, in 87 who had the wisdom to say, don't do anything drastic, just you know, stick with what you're doing, those people benefited. For those people that were reactionary, that got scared, that, you know, were like, I need to sell everything to protect what little I have, those are the folks that probably suffered the most because at that point, uh, it's it's really hard to get back what you've lost. Whereas if you just stay in the market, you're going you you will eventually, it may not happen when you need it, but it, you will eventually get back. And so I think the, 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 the lesson that we are taught over and over and over again with those situations is the importance of planning. And when I say planning, mm. it, it doesn't need to be really complicated. It is just simply, am I going to need any of the money that I am investing in five years? So does any of it need to be liquid? And if any of it needs to be liquid within five years, then you need to have that be liquid. Like it should not be invested in the market because you don't know in any economic cycle, if we, if we measure, which we do, a business and economic cycle in five-year increments, you never know what's going to happen in that five-year period of time. So if you know that you're going to need some liquid cash in five years, 
then that money should mm -hmm. be in a money market account and a CD, something that's liquid, not something that's in the stock market where the volatility is something that you cannot control. And that is a lesson that we learn over and over and over again. And also there's no benefit for like more people suffer when people operate out of greed. So that's an, a reminder as well. <laughs> mm -hmm, exactly. Totally. Right? I agree. Somebody was decided yes. that they needed to do something to earn that extra. And it wasn't for the benefit of everybody. Exactly. So, uh, Jackie, one last or a couple, uh, two last questions okay. here. You know, I've heard you talk about this wonderful thing that you do. And I think I, you either do this monthly or twice every two months or whatever. It's, it's a dinner conversation around money. So I want, I've, I've been really curious about this. Would you mind so much talking a little bit about this and then telling, telling our listeners how they might be able to avail of that if they're interested? Yeah, in totally. That. Thank you for asking about it. So the dinners that you are referencing are called the Comfort Circle Dinners, and um, they are gatherings where we get together and we have conversations about money, business, and life over food and wine, because like, why not? <laughs> um, you know, um, and every month has a different theme to reflect the fact that money impacts our lives in a myriad of ways. And so let's, let's have a conversation about what those ways are. And we also keep the dinners small. So no more than like 12 people are at a dinner to foster intimacy. And the idea for the dinner really came about from a conversation that I was having with a coaching client. And it really stemmed around her um, sharing and expressing with me that she really didn't have an outlet for talking about money. And there are two things that I find fascinating. Number one, I think as a society, I think we talk about money all the time. I just don't think we're having the right conversations. The other piece is that I think a part of what she was tapping into, even though these are not her words, is that we didn't have an environment that allowed you to come to the table, to come to the table, to share what your questions are, to, to share what you don't know, to share what your challenges and your frustrations are, and to know that you're not going to be judged because and the, the details might be different, but everybody sitting around that table has something that they want to work out as well. And so... It's been really, really awesome just seeing how a group of strangers can come together and have an amazing experience and leave a dinner with something really concrete that they can put into practice within the next 30 days. And that's what that's what my goal is after every dinner, that it's not only something that feeds your feeds you physically and feeds your soul, because I think fellowship does that all the time, but also that it gives you something very concrete that you can do and apply and, you know, integrate into your life immediately that's brilliant i love that now i think you are based in new york i right? am so... yeah 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 so right now you have to come to new york city but I, what, what i will say though is that um i have had people come from as far as philadelphia uh as far as you know way up in connecticut and way out in new jersey uh so Oh, there are some people that make the trek <laughs> and we and we do them and we do them in Midtown precisely for that so that, you know, anybody can come through a major transportation hub, whether it's Grand Central Station, Port Authority or Penn Station and easily get to the restaurant, have a wonderful meal and get home at a reasonable time as well. So um, 
come to the New York City area. And if I figure out a way how to do it on the road, um, I will I will let folks know. But right now, you got to come to me for that. <laughs> exactly. Well, plus, I am, I don't know if you know this, but I am actually from New York. I call myself a New oh, Yorker. I just, you know, know that. Transplanted in Florida. So just, just another one additional reason why I should be yes. traveling to New exactly. York. Exactly. Right? So where can people find out more about the comfort, the comfort circle, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, or anything else about you or about your, you know, your teachings about your working with you and stuff. Oh, like that. thank you for that. I appreciate it. So uh, to find out more about me, they can go to jacquettetimmons.com. And if you go to jacquettetimmons.com forward slash wheel, you'll be able to download a signature exercise of mine called the financial wheel. And that exercise is designed to help you increase your financial self-awareness so that you can make better choices about the ways in which money is working for you. I will include a link specific to that on the show oh, notes perfect, for this episode. Perfect. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing is, is for folks that are interested in the dinner is to go to jacquettetimmons.com forward slash comfort dash circle. And that will give you an overview of why for the dinners. You know, it's all about creating a safe space for vulnerable conversations about money. That's what, what I, that's what I say on the page. Um, and then you can see what the themes are that are coming. And then you can also see what the themes were uh, for the dinners that we've had in the past, just so that you can get a sense of what are the things we talk about. Check it. Thank you so much. I learned so much and I know the listeners will benefit a lot from this episode. So I can't wait for this to be released. Thank you so much for your generosity and everything that you shared with us. Thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate being able to share with you and your listeners. My friend, I want to ask you a favor. If you like the podcast, I would so much appreciate it if you'd let me know. You can do this by subscribing and giving me a rating and review. It's a simple step with a huge Big, big, big impact, big help for me and the work that I'm trying to do. To subscribe and leave a rating, you can search for Second Breaks on iTunes or you can simply go to secondbreaks.com forward slash review, secondbreaks.com forward slash review. That will take you directly to the podcast in iTunes. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for today's episode. You can find the show notes plus links to other relevant resources at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 19. You can also leave your comments or questions about today's topic there, or you can send me an email, lou at secondbreaks.com. I read all the emails. I respond, maybe not immediately, but certainly I will respond. I've also got a pretty good backlist of episodes now. You can download past episodes in iTunes or Google Play, or if you head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast, you'll see a list of all the episodes there. I will be back next week with a new guest to inspire you, get those juices flowing, and motivate you to make, or at least start planning your own career move. Till then, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans! This is the Second Breaks Podcast. 